Welcome to another episode of our podcast, the official our uh, official ritual achievement podcast. I am your host Draco Six Five Five, joined by my co-host Shudzi. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. This week on the show, we will be discussing what we have played this week, sharing our thoughts on achievement hunting strategies and concluding with a conversation about hacks, homebrew, and unlicensed. So let's kick off with the first segment, the game of the week. Shoot, can you want to talk about, about the first game you have played this week? Absolutely. So uh, it's been been a little while since we had a podcast, so doing a little bit of, of catching up with uh, where I've been at with the different games. But starting off, I played... Uh, uh, Monopoly for the NES by God Mode, and um, Monopoly is was probably one of my favorite games growing up as a kid. I've uh, mastered the SNES version of it, so when the NES version came out, I was uh, really, really excited to be able to dive back into the wonderful world of Monopoly and uh, the strategy that goes behind it. And it's a pretty simple game. People that grew up with Monopoly are are well aware of the rules. It's like a board game. Uh, you try and essentially bankrupt everybody by purchasing properties. People land on your properties and then pay you money when they land on them. And then you can uh, expand with houses and hotels so you can charge them more. And you can do trades and deals where you trade different properties and uh assets and things like that. So properties plus cash. Um, if you're familiar with, with the game of Monopoly, this is probably a bit redundant to you, but for people that have never played Monopoly before aren't familiar with it, although um, one of the biggest things that I think uh, was interesting about this particular version of Monopoly is just that um, the computers are not always making the best trades. The AI is a little bit odd with the uh, NES version of the game. Like I was talking to another person that played this version of Monopoly for the NES. And I think they told me that uh, they, I think they said that they bought Boardwalk, which is $50 when you land on a spot and the computer had park place and they traded boardwalk for park place for no reason so boardwalk slightly more valued as an asset and also um you charge 50 bucks instead of 35 so it's kind of odd the ai is not quite right but that makes it a little bit easier to get get some of the uh harder achievements in the set if you can kind of mess with mess with the ai a bit um, but that is a really, really fun title. Um, there's a lot of interesting achievements in this set, aside from the just the basic bread and butter, you know, collect each property. Like there's a 7v1 where you have to play an eight-player game, you versus the seven different computers and beat them. And so that was kind of a fun challenge for me to have to try and uh, figure out a strategy to be able to win in an eight-player game because if you've ever played Monopoly with a lot of players, you know that it's really tough. You know, everybody's buying everything and it's all the assets are so spread out that it just makes it really difficult to, um, to be able to gain any ground on anybody. 
So I ended up being able to master that one by kind of being a, a bit of a wheeler and a dealer and just essentially uh, being the only person on the board that had a monopoly by making some uh, creative trades. And um, that, that was a really fun achievement, just a really, really fun uh, set overall. So thank you, God Mode, for putting that out there. Um, the second game I wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, Pokemon Red and Blue. Uh, this game has kind of an interesting history on retro achievements. Um, originally, it was a mostly completion-based set, meaning uh, mostly just you know go through the game, defeat the defeat the different gyms, collect all the Pokemon, things like that. Um, and it did receive a revision. Uh, I also forgot to credit the authors, so my apologies on that. The set was made by uh, Blaze Kicken and Dude Twelve Eighty Six. So thank you for the set. Um, but anyway, the revision that it received gave it a lot of interesting uh, mechanics that made you really kind of, number one, have to kind of think about how you're going to set yourself up throughout the game. Um, a lot of missable, so a lot of planning, um, missable achievements, meaning achievements that if you progress too far in the game, you might not be able to get the achievement or go back and get the achievement. So I haven't finished the game yet. I'm kind of slowly working my way through it just to be extra careful and make sure that I'm um, not missing any achievements, but I'm slowly working my way through that one and really enjoying the revision and um, learning a lot more about Pokemon than I did before, just about, you know, the different things that you would have to do if you didn't just have like a a grossly over-leveled poke because usually when i would play pokemon as a kid and i think this is true for a lot of people you know you get your starter pokemon so you get squirtle uh charmander or uh bulbasaur and what i would do as a kid is i would play through the game and just focus on that one pokemon and I'd catch other Pokemon here and there, but there's so many trainers in the game. And if you would grind up a little bit of experience, you could kind of just um, bl uh, blast through the game and just keep killing uh, more and more trainers to the point where, you know, you were pretty much going to one shot every trainer a little bit later on down the road, especially when your one starter Pokemon gets really, really powerful. So that's kind of what I did as a kid. Um, we can't do that with this set because there are a lot of um, achievements where you have to be, for example, all the gyms, you have to have no Pokemon higher than X level. So no Pokemon higher than a level cap of 29, for instance. Um, therefore, you kind of have to figure out, okay, which I need some other Pokemon that are going to be kind of good for this particular gym. And even then you have to kind of strategize a little bit more and then also getting to really explore the world a little bit more. There's a lot of hidden items and little, little uh, small secrets built into Pokemon that um, are really interesting to see for the first time. So I'm, I'm enjoying that set quite a bit. Uh, what about you, Draco? First off, I'm very happy you played um, some Pokemon Red and Blue because I know it was a game I always said to you to play, but you didn't want it to play. But I'm very happy you 
try this one. Um, so first off, my first game I wanted to mention here was the Game of Life on PlayStation by Andy. So before talking about the set, I would just wanted to mention a little bit uh, another story when I was younger. So when I was younger, um, I think I did go to the, to the grocery one day. And then when I was uh, wanted to buy my cereals, um, Cheerios, I believe, or other stuff, I know for a fact, I don't know if, if some people have uh, seen that before, but you can actually like buy the the cereal and you got the Game of Life or Monopoly or I think one or two board games there. And I, you got like for free with your cereal box. So I think when I was a kid, I was like, every time I see my dad, like, oh my God, I need this. I don't have it into my collection. So this is how I played Game of Life when I was a little bit younger. So I, would, I, I was very happy to see this game bring to Ari with achievement. And then, um, so I'm playing, currently I'm playing this set. I'm almost done with it. So you have like two game modes into this one. You have your traditional Game of Life game where you collect some uh, life tokens and the more token at the end, you have more money and you win. And the other interesting mode is you have um, pretty much you don't have life tokens, but you have like some mini games every time you land into life. And if you land on paydays, you can steal money from the other players. So it's a little bit another dynamic into the games, which make it very interesting. And I have a couple achievements left. So, and I remember, I mean, I never thought the game was so slow. I mean, Oh God, I mean, they have a lot of animation. At least we can uh, not make them watch the cutscene and stuff. But the game is a little bit slower than I expected. But and, I mean, it's Game of Life. It's a pretty nice game board. So that was one of the first game I played. The second game I played into my couple of weeks was the Toy Story Racer by Mario 2188. So Toy Story Racer on PlayStation, I never played that never uh, as a kid uh, it's a racing games um it's pretty well done you have like six or seven different characters you can do your goal is basically to collect 200 soldiers so every time you collect one soldiers uh, you can like go up into the challenges so you have different challenges to do as well so example uh, lap time trials you can target. You can kill some targets. You can do the race normally. You can do the ra the race uh, reverse. You can do an endurance race. Uh, you have like multiple challenges through your going, and you back and forth on each um, characters to go to progress further. So the the, the set is really it's pretty fun. Uh, you have interesting challenges as well. Uh, you have like uh, some battles, uh, very hard battles one to do. Some of those achievements are pretty much ranges and you have to the CPU cooperate with you. But overall, the game mechanic is pretty smooth. Um, I recommend this game as, a, as anybody want to try some racing games. Pretty fun, but uh, you're going to spend a little bit of time into it if you want to master the set because it's a pretty long uh long i mean long set to do but you, you you're gonna like repeat and repeat and repeat a lot of those races if you want to finish the 200 soldiers 
So, uh, shoot, what is your third game that did you play? Uh, the third game I played this uh, week, or I guess recently, um, that I'll probably play today is uh, Cave Noir and, uh, by Snowpin. And this game is probably what I, I would say it's certainly up there with one of my favorite Game Boy games. So I'm really glad that a set got made and got introduced to it, uh, or I got introduced to it through the set. I was not familiar with the game before, rather. Because um, I, I believe it is is uh, Japan exclusive, so there is a translation patch available for it. Got that taken care of, and uh, it's just a really really interesting game. The the sprite artwork is fantastic. It's like a a roguelike, so um, a little bit hard to summarize. So I'll give it my best shot. There's four different modes. Um, each with 10 levels and the levels are randomized. So what you're, you're like a little night guy and you go through um, different floors, collect equipment um, and try and complete the objective and get to the door. And each, uh, each uh, movement that you do corresponds with like there's enemies in the room. So they'll do one move basically Things aren't happening in like real, real time. So you have to kind of, it's kind of a thinking person's game. Like you have to think a little bit about the items in your inventory versus the monsters in the room and what you're going to do. And then um, make the best out of each and every situation that you encounter. And I have to say just from the top to the bottom, as far as the aspects of the game, like the sprites the music, the um, the way it's set up, it's just super addictive and super fun. Uh, if you love, if you like Game Boy games, and you or you like roguelikes or both, I could not get enough of this game. And the achievement set is is pretty challenging. Um, I'm still working my way through the last ones in it. And um, one of the other things about it that's that's kind of interesting is it like it puts you in a mindset where you're, you're kind of just trying to figure out, you know, if I do this, the computer will do that. Like figuring out the, uh, the movement is, is what I was trying to think of. Uh, cause each, each enemy has a different movement pattern that you kind of have to think about occupies, you know, um, a certain amount of tiles. So you kind of have to really think about that against the items that you have and just kind of, again, make the best of each situation because there is some RNG involved that being that it is a roguelike. And um, as far as the the difficulty and things like that, I think that, um, you know, with with RNG being a factor, that certainly provides a, a good challenge on top of, you know, getting in situations where... Uh, you're going through the game and you just get terrible RNG and you get bad items and you're not able to really make do with anything that that can happen from time to time, but you do start off with four items. So it starts you off with four items every time. Um, I've kind of tried to do this thing where I establish in my own mind, like what's the internal value of each item? Like how useful is this to me as opposed to, other items in the hierarchy of all of the items in the game and try and 
prioritize or get away with using, you know, weaker items or items that aren't as useful in uh, certain situations. It's a little bit hard to explain how the game works, but that that's, um, I guess that's with a lot of roguelikes. You kind of just have to get into it and start playing it for yourself. But um, like I said, everything about it just has me hooked on it. And so if you are somebody that likes roguelikes or likes Game Boy, this is this is definitely a must play for you. Um, what about you? What was another game that you played this week? Well, my third game was a chaos. I mean, I played Mario 64 Chaos Edition by Sporytype. So, yeah. So basically, it's Mario 64. But when you see an achievement list with a lot of achievement, but every single time you collect a star, have an achievement means something you need to think more. So basically, uh, this is your traditional Mario 64 games, but with a very, very, very hard time you will deal with. Pretty much you have uh, chaos everywhere. Uh, you can you just load your games, and sometimes the game will play by itself, and you cannot really do anything. Uh, you can the object into the map could go toward you, and you're gonna die. You your the the floor can be lava, you're gonna die. Everything's make your life harder. Everything is hard. Sometimes you just I I I was just playing like oh nice I'm playing like volcano stage i just entered it with five life and nope i'm just i'm just gone i'm just dying over and over i could not even play the games uh mario like i was just like trying to land and mario like move way ahead from the left side and nope sometimes you can have a lot of coins spawning there. It's it's random. Sometimes you heard some. You have even you need even to play pongs, and if you don't play pongs and you miss the pong, well, you die. I mean, everything is here to make your life harder. It's fun. So the first time I played, I was surprised. I I think I stick with like three hours, and I I think in three hours I collect like twenty five stars, and that was pretty a good deal for three hours. Let's say, uh, but yeah, sometimes you can spend like 40, uh, 40 minutes before getting a stars. You actually don't know where you're going to go. So you need to very adapt, but sometimes, I mean, sometimes the RNG would just say like, nope, you're not going there. You're going the other ways or something like that. So this is really a fun, fun game. But trust me, if you're trying to just this, um, this chaos edition, you just you go there for having fun and just laugh because <laughs> this is something uh, this is very an experience like very funny and it's very fun for people actually like see you play this game because at least they're gonna laugh a ton at you so what is your fourth game shoot so speaking of um mario games and that i by the way i've been watching i've watched you play that a little bit and i'm not that great at mario but that actually does look like a lot of fun like you said um a lot of chaos but also a lot of fun uh, my uh, fourth game that i played or been playing recently is mario 64 green stars it's pretty 
pretty interesting uh, hack. It's essentially just Mario 64 with new levels, collect these green stars instead of the regular yellow stars. And it's uh, certainly a step up in terms of difficulty from original Mario 64. Not the set, but just the game in general, if you played Mario 64 as a kid. Um, just some of the platforming elements of it are more tough. The stages have more difficult stars to attain. You have to kind of do some some tricks that you would most likely not be expected to do in original Mario 64. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. I'm not the greatest Mario 64 player in general. So, you know, I kind of just poke through and try and at least get, you know, a few stars here and there and do the best that I can. But the person that made the game uh, did a really good job just creating like a brand new worlds and making it really, really interesting. Uh, again, <laughs> I forgot to credit the author, so my apologies. Uh, that that was made, the achievement set was made by Steven1337. Uh, so there's like an ice lava world there's like a there's like a factory world. There's just lots of interesting uh, worlds that were uh, thought up by this person that made this hack. And they definitely, like I said, make, made the uh, experience more difficult. So I'm kind of poking my way through that one and doing the best that I can with my limited Mario 64 abilities. But a very fun hack nonetheless, hoping to master it at some point. I think I'm about halfway pretty close to halfway through it and um yeah it can be it can be really tough i mean there's some stars where i've spent you know 20 30 40 minutes just trying to to get that one individual star without the chaos involved draco so uh, tell me about your next game but before speaking my next game or well, the green star game i mean the game like you mentioned is so beautiful the music is very good it's very like another step up and I'm very amazed how the the, the game looked like. And I think what the, the harder part, I was like, man, can I just do this game? I think that was like the first castle. The first castle was so hard for me. I did not like, oh boy, that was just like a hell experience for me to the first castle. But I managed to, to, to play the entire set and it was, that was a blast. Uh, so my fourth game was another hack. Uh, this one we're going into the Super Nintendo one, and it's called Mario's Missing Dawn Rides. So it's a uh, set by Stefan thirteen thirty seven as well. So um, so this game is um, why I bring it up is um, first of all the game by itself is not hard. Um, it's pretty like easy difficulty. But the reason I bring it up is because you're playing first. You're playing Luigi, which is better than Mario sometimes. Two, uh, the game is really well made. When I say well made, is I did not see like any quiet lag because sometimes when you play some hack and stuff, you can have like some lag in some ways, or sometimes the game is not really good. But this one is really well done. The difficulty is not that difficult, so anyone can pick it up quite nicely. Um, the graphic of this, the graphic. And the entire map is completely like beautiful and i have a blast playing this like very much and i understand why a lot of people have played this game because it's just a wonderful game 
and every well is different, uh, like different teams. And what, yeah, it's very, very, I think the only thing I, I'm sad about is some bosses was pretty like the same as the original uh, SM, uh, Super Mario, uh, Super Mario World. But beside that, the game by itself is super, super well done and very so. So if you're interested to super, uh, super Mario World styles, this is a very game you can could play and having a blast to it. So what is your last game, Shu? Uh, last game for me that I've been playing is Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle for the NES by Jamiris. Um, I grew up playing Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle for Game Boy, so that hasn't quite been made into a set yet. I've got a request in for it, but Bugs Bunny Crazy Castle for NES is uh, very similar Uh basically the same game just with color and a little bit of a different setting so it's pretty pretty fun game uh it's a puzzle platformer so what you do is you are bugs bunny you go through the different stages and try and collect all of the carrots and get to the exit and there's different enemies so there's like sylvester uh, the sam guy uh, yosemite sam sorry <laughs> i was forgetting the name uh, Wily e. Coyote, different enemies that if they touch you, they'll kill you. And then there's different items in the level uh, that you can use against the enemies to kill them or uh, incapacitate them. Uh, so there's like quite a few stages in the game. There's so the achievement set, as far as the breakdown, has kind of an interesting setup. So some achievements, it's like kill every enemy in a level so you have to figure out the best way to maximize the items you have relative to the locations of the enemies because some items are like you can store the item and then use it whenever you want some items are like oh there's a crate here if i push this crate off of the platform it'll go to the platform below and kill the enemy so you have to figure out which enemy it's intended for. Otherwise, you know, you can get into a situation where you might end up having uh, you might end up having one enemy left over at the end because you didn't plan accordingly. And then there's the opposite of that. So there's um, some levels that have pacifist achievements where you have to beat the entire level without killing enemies so there's the pacifist uh, achievements for some levels and then there's the kill every enemy and then there's just the standard you know beat this level or beat that level but i like i said i grew up with bugs bunny crazy castle as a kid for game boy so it was fun to play the nes version of it and um, do some puzzle platforming and it's just relaxing nice game to kind of go through another yet another game where you kind of have to think um and you don't have as much action going on you know like an action platformer or things like that so puzzle platformers for me for some reason just are really really relaxing and just a really enjoyable time uh, you know sometimes you're just i feel like with retro achievements in general speaking as a whole sometimes you're in the mood to like be really really engaged with a game and like really 100 percent focused like gotta you know, for example, 
damageless achievements, right? You got to have your full attention, full blinders on, but sometimes it's nice to kind of just have a game where you can have a show on in the background and kind of grind something out, especially with, with grindy games or RPGs too, but also sometimes with puzzle platformers, that can be kind of a, a fun, fun thing to do at the same time. Uh, what about you? What was your last game? Well, my last game is a, yeah, it's another SM64 game hack. Um, this one is Sunshine Secret Book by another game by Stefan1337. So why I bring that up again, um, it's mainly because one, rather than collecting a star, you collect a beautiful sunshine. And I do love Mars Sunshine. So that was very cute. And two, the music of this game is wonderful. Three, the game is pretty short. So you have only to collect like 40 stars. This game took me two hours and a half to do. So it's very short. Um, I like it a lot. And, and on that, the stages there are wonderful, are well crafted, well done. Uh, the stars are not too hard to get, but just, just like seeing the, the, the design levels, all the little details, how the places are places and i really have a hard time to find those three power-ups but i will never tell if to people if they want to actually like play the game because i don't want to spoil them but i have a hard time to finding them and yeah the game i mean it's 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 just like your children are super Mario 64 but it's just very well done so i really wanted to talk about it because it was very fun to play it and i I wish other people would play as well this game. So further ado, let's introduce ourselves for the first segment of this week. Ha uh, the second segment, excuse me. Hacks, Umbrus, and my sense game. So shoot, I'm very interested. Can you give us like a little description of what is a hack, an Umbru, and an unlicensed game for the people don't actually don't know? Sure. So yeah, to start this segment off, I just wanted to kind of get people a little bit more familiarized with what the difference between a hack, a homebrew, and an unlicensed game are. They are all kind of under a similar umbrella. So I wrote down a definition of uh, what I would consider each. I don't know if it's a perfect definition, but hacks are essentially original assets of a licensed game that are arranged in a different way to create a brand new experience. Um, Homebrews are original ideas and new concepts that are turned into games with original content and assets. And then unlicensed games are typically fan-based uh, versions of licensed games. And Retro Achievements is chock full of all three of these. Some of the most fun titles that I've been able to experience on Retro Achievements are hacks because... It's so fascinating to see what people are able to do with some of these original, uh, with some of the original assets of a licensed game, and com completely make a brand new experience that really, really engages you and kind of gets you playing a completely new adventure, but still enjoying that nostalgic feel of of the original assets of the game. So for me, uh, what is interesting? Let's let's kick off this uh, this discussion with hacks. So um, 
first thing off, uh, for me, my definition of an X is pretty much like having like um, almost like a fan uh, fan base games where example, like it's a Mario games or Pokemon games or example, like Super Mario Kart and you introduce the players with a different aspect. Like I, we mentioned a lot of, we introduced a lot of game of the week with the hacks game and stuff. So like we mentioned, like you take like the original form of Super Mario 64, but you give your player some time, you give uh, sometimes some, like some hack or pretty much like, uh, like Chaos Edition. Like they just like the same games, like even like on, on Pokemon, they are like the same maps, the same games, same Pokemon and stuff. No, no news to it. But sometimes you have like a very major stuff happen. Like example on the Chaos Editions, you have more uh, effect or a lot of stuff going on, and it's make the games experience different. But sometimes when you play a hack, and like I did for SM sixty four D Sunshine. You have like a very different aspect or different maps to it, which the, the person take very long time to create and then create like some new places to go through, to visit new maps, new concepts, uh, new ability, new powers. And this is where for me, I really like, I'm really a fan of those hack stuff because Sometimes I'm really I'm very amazed when I play like a new games, but it's very different, unique styles or new different way to see the games. And some hack I did play, it, I'm very sad because this is pretty much like oh, this is another version of Pokemon Fire and Red, or oh, it's another same similar for Silver or Crystal. This is the same maps, same Pokemon. Nothing is new, nothing is changed. Same gym leaders, same. Uh, same base level so sometimes it's a little bit like sad to play those kind of game but i kind of like it because i'm used to or but sometimes like i said like when i'm play something like very unique like some new races or new stuff I, this is where i like much play some hacks yeah it is really interesting to see i want to say just that level of depth that some authors go to to really make the game stand alone and make it a brand new experience for the player and like you said you know you've got everything ranging from slight changes here and there to completely full-blown like they even took the original um, assets of the game and added like new graphical stuff new twists things like that um, I, I think that I've really hit my, um, my favorite style of game with these crossover games, because I've played three different crossovers that I can think of, and they've all been extremely fun. Like I'm just hooked. Can't put them down. I talked a little bit about Banjo, Kazooie, Jiggies of Time, which is the, the crossover between, ocarina of time for n64 and banjo kazooie i've played the uh the crossover between super mario 64 and ocarina of time and i've heard it through the grapevine that there is also a um 
it's going to be i'm not i'm not i don't think this is out yet i think someone was telling me that this is going to be coming out not an achievement set uh but the game and then inevitably mate probably an achievement set a crossover between banjo kazooie and goldeneye 64 and that to me sounds extremely interesting i can i can see myself definitely getting into that uh so that's that's something that is really getting me hooked is these crossover hacks are just so much fun it's just so cool to see somebody do something like that and um there's always a lot uh, another thing that i i think of is there's always kind of a lot of like for me like laughing about not laughing at the author but just laughing at like what the heck is this or like what what is this so there's always just that aspect of of like seeing brand new stuff and just kind of being really excited about it because it's you know it's original assets like you said we've seen it before we just haven't seen it in this format and so it really adds that that originality to it that gives it a whole new spin and um, I'm hoping that uh, over time we continue to see more crossover hack achievement sets because uh, I just really seem to not be able to put them down. Like they just, they are so, so much fun. Speaking of that aspect shoot, um, one thing I'm very, I don't know if it's the case for you, but one thing I'm very amazed about those hack and stuff, like since like example, let's say like, something both of us we have played like some almost like the same typical hacks where example you play like pokemon red and blues and this is pretty much the same games over and over but as the the game the the not the game but as the time go on we seem like recently like those last year or maybe like two years before or even this year we have some set where the quality of those crossovers and the quality of those games, like the same mechanic, like you play like Mario 64, but it's very crazy game uh, game design or game level, the level or the graphic design is always like another level and their aspect. And I'm very like amazed to see how it changed and how it's like more into it or more different than it is. So I have a question for you. So every time you play a hack, what is like, what like what is the thing you're looking for into the games to make you like, yes, I like the games, or oh, it's look like very similar. It's like, what is your good, uh, what is your thought about like what do you like the most into the games you play? Definition of like a good hack would be something where all of the uh for me i think all of the assets being used in new ways number one so a good example of this might be uh for the banjo kazooie jiggies of time crossover set there were some situations where you can shoot eggs backwards and you have to do that to uh knock uh, destroy uh break destroy break sorry i'm trying to think of a way to say this destroy uh environment environmental objects uh that you wouldn't be able to reach that are oftentimes like underwater 
that probably didn't come out the right way, but some something to that effect. Like, uh, it, you know, there's a there will be rocks underwater, and in Banjo Kazooie, you can't normally attack underwater, but you can be above the platform, shoot eggs backwards, and they'll land in the water and destroy rocks or destroy um, parts of the environment to be able to access different areas of the map. So that's, I think that's one big thing for me is just taking er, the parts of the game that are still functional and original and just uh, making them into new mechanics that you haven't seen before. Cause in original Banjo-Kazooie, you were never doing that. Um, the other thing too, is I, I always like to have a step up in difficulty and the reason I say that is because I feel like most people that are playing uh, these types of games where they're hacks, so they're using original assets, I feel like most people are familiar with the mechanics of the original assets. So they're kind of like they're kind of looking for a bit more of a challenge. I don't mean that to be a, you know, a gatekeeper in any way or anything like that. By all means, if you haven't played the original, then, you know, I'm not saying don't play a hack version of the game, but I think most people, you know, the majority of people that are playing these hacks are people that enjoyed the original game and just want, you know, they're looking for something new. They're looking for a twist. So those are the two big things is taking taking the original mechanics and really ramping them up. And then also ramping up the difficulty with the expectation that the player is kind of familiar with the original rules of the game and the how the maps work, how the attacks work, depending on the game. But what about you? What, what do you usually look for in a hack or uh, like... Uh, a homebrew, not a homebrew, sorry, a hack. Well, uh, that's a very interesting you mentioned, Dave, before answering your question. I mean, like I, like I mentioned, I really enjoy all the design the design graphic behind to it and sometimes the graphic to it. Uh, not the graphic, but the game mechanic. But the way you say, like, the difficulty increase, sometimes some some hack have Kaizo into it. So this is like one branch to the extremes difficulty you can have because i play some kaizo pokemon and let me new, let me tell you this is pretty damn hard uh but it's it's the same games but they very push it to an extreme stuff and even for sm super mario world they have like crazy kaizo be behind to it so um so the difficulty behind behind those hack are pretty pretty hard so Another interesting, uh, let's talk about the homebrew style, uh, the homebrew category now. Uh, for me, homebrew and hack, are, I mean, the three of them are pretty like similar in my opinions, but um, the homebrew, which I wanted to, well, let's let's talk about it a little bit. Um, I wanted to bring the fact of when I did some uh, my studies, I developed a little games where it's, it's pretty like just simple 2D, games where it was just like a little characters where you go into like a maze and collecting a little like maybe like with five or six items into the map and then finish up the game so a lot of those umbro games are all made by some people or some 
little company, but not too much. And they just publish them to, and those people can buy the game and stuff like that. So a lot of those Umbro games, which we did play, I think they are pretty damn well made. They're, those music are very fantastic. So did you ever play some, did you have like a couple Umbro's? Did you play in a membership? Yeah, homebrews are are always interesting to see what people come up with when they use original, you know, concepts, assets, and content. And I've had some games that I've played that are homebrew that, you know, a full blown studio could have could have made back in the day. Um, pretty good example of this would be Dedius or Dedeus. I'm not sure how you say it, and I definitely talked about this previously. Uh, on the podcast before but it's just crazy the amount of detail that people put into original concepts for uh homebrews that was that was a really fun game that i played a while ago that i when i played it i mean i was shocked at the amount of details like this could have been you know a full-blown game boy game back in the day this is better than a lot of game boy games arguably so it it's really interesting to see what people are able to come up with not using any assets because i think that i would say overall it's probably maybe not harder but i want to because i'm not a developer i don't make games i don't work in that in that aspect but i think that it's harder to come up with an original concept than to take assets of a pre-existing game and then make them into a concept, right? Because you're literally starting from scratch. So I think that's that's a big challenge for a lot of people when they're making games is trying to figure out like what's you know what what's my concept? What am I going for here? If you have pre-existing assets, at least you've got that going for you. But if you're starting from scratch, that's a little bit different and arguably more difficult, in my opinion. So one of the games the uh, the Umbrella they played was the Alter Ego. Um, so it was like a little like short games. I think it's like 25 levels. Uh, and then it's just like a little simple mechanic where the uh, you have like your yourself and you have like a du duplicate of yourself and you can like change the position uh, on them and some some stage have like example you can swap yourself like two or three times and if you pass that mark you cannot even swap your two characters between those so this is like a very fun mechanics uh i don't i did not play that much of Umbrood, but i know like the people are make those are fantastic and speaking of other games, um, let's talk about a little bit of unlicensed games. And before closing this segment, um, the only I think the uh, I, I mentioned that one time into the podcast, the only license unlicensed game I did play was the Pokemon NES, and then that was like I mean that was very a fun experience, but the game have like some stuff into it, uh, like I already mentioned it, but. I'm not the most familiar with the unlicensed games, but I for sure playing like Pokemon into the NES was something like out of the taste. I know they have like a couple more unlicensed, but um, yeah. So what did you, what do you have for us, shoot? For unlicensed, I played uh, 
the Super Mario 4 uh, a while ago, and that was fun and not fun. Um, it's the le- It was fun in the sense that it was cool to see what somebody made that they would think would be kind of a continuation off of the series. Not fun in the sense that it doesn't really feel like... Uh, a Mario game per se with just the way that the jumps worked. And it was somewhat unforgiving. Uh, the three Mario games for Game Boy for the tuning are not extremely difficult on uh, by themselves. There's some tough achievements in those sets for sure, but the, the, the games themselves without achievements are not that difficult. So this fourth one really just the the physics of the game were really tough sometimes you know i mean they're unlicensed they're unlicensed games so things can be be janky right things can be very odd with unlicensed games and uh you know people people continue to play them and things like that and they're fun it's just sometimes the mechanics can be a little bit odd depending on the game but i think i think overall because i'm kind of just looking at what i have played so far i think i probably of hacks homebrews and unlicensed games um i probably have played the fewest unlicensed games and then i think between hacks and homebrews it's a pretty close tie for how many i've completed of each so unlicensed to me is kind of the one I've the the style of game between those three that I have played the least. So thank you, Shoot, for your thoughts there. Um, for the chat who like listening to these videos, um, I have a question for you all. Uh, what do you think is the best for you? Do you prefer the hacks or do you prefer the unlicensed or the unbrews? Leave us a comment down below, and we're gonna be very excited to see your answer. Your answer there. So let's introduce us to the last segment. For today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about time investment per achievement. So this is a, a segment where me and Shoot are both ready in because we spend a lot of time into retro achievement, and uh, we I did grind or we did grind a lot into um, retro achievement, and the times is like a very big factor into sometimes what we play and sometimes what we don't play. And today we're gonna answer you all, or we're gonna try to give you some insight about what for us was a success and not, because um, because sometimes you have a jobs and you don't have all the times in the world to playing achievement and stuff, but this is a very big segment. So first, uh, so yeah, shoot, what is your, um, do you have any, so what, what, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no worries. So, uh, yeah, we, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but it's just kind of looking at when you're playing retro achievements and you're competing, you know, and you're trying to kind of think about your time and the amount of time you can spend is time investment per achievement. You know, do you look at the point value and in an achievement versus the time it will take when you're considering what set to play next? And the answer for me to that question is sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. 
Uh, I've been pretty busy with work lately outside of retro achievements. And so I've had a little bit less time to kind of uh, try and grind points. But that is one of the things if you're trying to be a little bit more competitive on retro achievements and climb up the ranks is considering the amount of time that it will take you to complete uh, an achievement and then the point value of the achievement as opposed to the time that you're going to put into it. So, for example, RPG games in general, a lot of people talk about this, but RPG games can take a long time and they're often worth quite a few points. You know, sometimes they're worth 1000 to 2000 points. I'm kind of just throwing out a number, but if you look at, if you look at a lot of RPGs on the site, these aren't like one, two, 300 point titles, right? These are long games, you know? So often the, the point value can be about a thousand to 2000 points. But with that being said, that the time that you're going to put into these RPG games, I mean, Final Fantasy VII took me two and a half months. This was before uh, work from home, though, so I was commuting and spending a lot of time at work outside of my home and didn't didn't have as much time to put into the title. But that's kind of the one of the things that I consider is, you know, how much time am I going to be spending on this versus the amount of points that I'm going to get out of it? And, you know, some days I'm feeling like that, but other days I'm feeling like I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want because I just want to uh, kind of be a little bit more geared towards just relaxing. And I kind of mix up the two, you know, that's that's kind of the, the spectrum of competitiveness where some people are just always focused on the points, I think, and some people are focused always on the fun. And then there's kind of that middle ground, which I feel like I'm starting to work my way towards. For a little while, I think I was a little bit too oriented towards just grinding points, and it became more of a chore than fun. So I'm kind of glad I'm getting back to that that middle ground personally. But what about you, Draco? What are your thoughts on that? So you have made interesting two point here. So the first point you made the point of RPGs. So why I'm saying that is because when you spend a lot of time into advancement, uh, advancement, your time into achievement, you have genres. So genres, we already mentioned a lot. We already talk a lot. You have a couple of genres where if you, example, you're going to play RPGs. Well, if you play RPGs, I'm playing like, I'm, I did started Pokemon Argoso Silvers, which is a time, a lot of time, massive times to do. I spent, I think, so far 40 to 50 hours just for that. I spent 40 hours to 50 hours again into Digimon World 2. It's a like very fun game, but at the end, the, 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 the point set is massive. So I get a lot of reward, but spending a lot of time into that is like very uh, a lot. So RPG are maybe not the way to go for some people. Some people really like the, uh, like, like should mention, some people go for the funds over the points. But if you really want to, in some way, to grind into retro achievement, maybe RPGs maybe not the way for you to going for. So what is the other genre to go? Well, for, um, for me, I think the top three best um, generous to go for is probably like racing games because racing games a lot of those are typically like not very long uh, you can have a lot of achievements depending on what the set could be 
and they are sometimes the mechanic are not that difficult to understand or to pick up so for me racing game are always a suit to go or something like massive to go and very fast to go without like the amount of time second of all you have platforming platforming i think is like very huge into retouchment you have a lot of platformings like a lot of collection items to get a lot of example like mario styles to do um, they're they're very classic. Do this, complete this stage, get that and that. So those game, like normally, like those game, uh, those set are tend to be like less than ten hours. And ten hours to getting a, a some amount of points, it's pretty a good deal when you play platforming and if you're really good at platforming. So those two genres are very crucial. And I think I have like. Two other genres which I want to put there, and probably she would answer me with that after, are shooting games and fighting games. So fighting games are very like very good in some ways because it's just typical like fighting, fighting, fightings. Those games are not supposed to. They don't have like story wise. They don't have anything else. It's straightforward. And if you're very very good at fighting games, you have a lot of like you gotta like save a lot of times getting a lot of stuff a lot of uh, chivos and stuff so those is a very good genre to go for and shooting so some people are uh, i'm very terrible at shooting games but some people in shooting games they just like example like those trailer shooters where you start at the base and then they just they never die and pretty much like they, they finish the entire game very quickly and that's what a lot of players go for so what is your touch shoot about what I just said? Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about some of the aspects I was referring to with RPGs, and I think we're in agreement there. Um, as far as as far as other genres that you mentioned, uh, you know, plat- platformers, I would say, for point grinding, especially if you know the platformer quite well, are king. And fighting games too. You know, if you're good at, at that particular uh, fighting game, which is where I've had a lot of success is fighting games where I'm really good at them. Um, I've been able to, to blast through them pretty quickly versus, you know, spending um, a lot of time going through an RPG. And, you know, this is all keep in mind to our audience. This is all with the caveat of play what you want, play, you know, enjoy yourself. This is just talking about the general aspect of, of point grinding and, and the amount of time that you're putting into things. And, you know, people have lives outside of retro achievements and that's why, you know, it can take a lot of time to complete even, even platformers at times uh, or things like that, especially if the, the difficulty is, is up there. So that's kind of one thing that I look for in uh, uh, platformers and shoot them ups when I'm playing them is how is the achievement set broken down as far as what's going to be the worst stuff that's really going to be hard to get the damage lists, the the weapon lists, things like that. But I I would agree with you that uh, as far as you know points that you can grind a little bit quicker fighting games for sure because fighting games a lot of the time are broken up like uh for the achievement sets you know beat the game with each character right do a combo with each character 
beat the game um, on very hard difficulty, but you get your choice of character, which is usually quite nice. Um, and then, you know, there may be some other unique, like secret character achievements mixed in. That's, that's just me kind of throwing out some general uh, achievement makeups that I've seen throughout the different fighting sets that I've played. But yeah, for sure. I mean, long story short, action, um, shoot 'em ups and uh, platforming and fighting games, I've all found overall, if I think if you were to make a chart and then look at the amount of time spent, you would see that for the most part, those games, you're spending less time per achievement than RPGs, for example. Also, it's always like um, a way to see this, like how good you are as a person or as a gamer. I mean, everyone is different. Shoot is better at fighting than I do. I can manage to it, but what you can do into fighting is very different than I do into racing. So a lot of the time, it's pretty much like, what do you like to want to play and how fun you have? If you have a lot of fun, like right now I'm playing like Toy Story and I spend like three, three or four days in a row to it and I still do not finish it and I have some tough to it, but I really enjoy it. So like I said, like we said, like time investment is a lot into RA. If we spend a decent amount of time into it, I spend over like two years into retro achievement just for achievement and I gain a lot of achievement. I did grind a lot and I always wanted to find what is the quickest to reach the top because that's my goal into retro achievement. Some people that's not their goal into it. So they just want example, they just want the badges or they just want to spend time into just RPG and that's fine. Um, um, so yeah, they just, spend the time of what you consider like what is fun for you and don't worry about the rest uh we just wanted to give some insight of what is like the best way to approach an achievement what is like the best time investment into it but at the end the major goal is having fun and if you enjoy what you're currently doing this is the best way to doing it and i respect like i i think i saw like one profile into richard achievement the guy have like almost like a lot of RPG and seeing this, this is incredible how this player have a lot of points, but at the same time, you have a lot of RPG masters, which is pretty damn sick. So. Yeah. I mean, there are people on retro achievements that there are very high ranked and they've played a lot of RPGs. And they've got, you know, a ton of other games under their belt, too, of all other genres. But there are people on Retro Achievements that have played a lot, like a lot, a lot of RPGs and are still very high ranked. So this isn't, I mean, this isn't an RPG uh, bashing session by any means, although <laughs> we'll probably get uh, a little bit of flack about that. But um, it's just one of those things where, you know, and like I said, and like I always say, uh, enjoy the site how you want. We're just kind of um, talking about the competitive aspects of it. And and one other thing I, I did want to talk about um, with a ch uh, strategy and approaching achievements is approaching achievements that are extremely brutal and may take uh, lots of time and practice. So complete playthroughs with unique character setups, low level runs, uh, weapon lists, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. 
and kind of how you approach those. So the way I think about it is when I look at a set, if I'm really, really determined that I want to master a set and I'm going to green light it, you know, I'm for sure going to just do it. Then I do always look for the hardest achievements first. And oftentimes I will try and do them first. I, I typically follow that process with fighting games as I always go for like the very, like the hard mode completion a lot of the time. Sometimes I don't, you know, if I, if I know the, if I don't know the game extremely well, I'll kind of get my feet wet, see what the game's about, figure out, you know, what's going to be my best setup to do this. Like what, what character for me is going to be the best for hard mode? What's going to be the character? And if I don't know that because I haven't played the game that much or I have a, you know, a mediocre amount of experience with the game, then I kind of need to do some testing and figure out, you know, what can I get away with? I'm kind of speaking a little bit to just my fighting game experience um, to clarify a little bit. But, you know, that's one of the things that I always look at. And, and sometimes I do go the inverse where I'm looking at, you know, what's the hardest achievement? Knock it out first. I, I always prefer to knock out the hardest achievements in the set first if I can and if the game permits me to do so because that way I feel like I can kind of, it's kind of all downhill from there after the fact that I've completed that hardest achievement. Um, so when I'm looking at a set and kind of investigating and doing my due diligence, due diligence excuse me, and trying to figure out um, what's going to be the best way to get through the game, I always do kind of take a look at the hardest achievements in a set. And, you know, is this feasible for me? Is it, re is it a reasonable expectation for me to be able to accomplish that? And sometimes that mindset can be a little bit challenging because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so when you're thinking like that, you know, I've played games where I'm like, there's no, there's no friggin' way I'm going to be able to do this. And then as I play through the game and I kind of start getting better at the game, I'm like, I can see how that's possible. You know, I can see how I can get to that point. Um, and in the achievement, or I can see how I can be able to work towards being able to do this. So there are times where I don't think things are possible. I'm like, there's, there's just no way. But then as I play through the game and I get better at, it, I'm like, this is going to be really tough, but I see a way to do this. And I, that's kind of that aha moment that we've talked a little bit about on previous episodes. So uh, a couple of things I want to mention, which should bring something very interesting, is first of all, um, the time investment per achieve, uh, the achievement like you try to do. Like example, you spend a lot of time, example, you spend 20, 30 hours into the games, and then the more time you spend into that games at the, at the, at the upper goal, as well as maybe get the master or not, but you, you're gaining a lot of experience in generals which is a very good key example. You're playing like, you're not very good at Super, uh, Super Mario 64, but the more you play it, the more your skill will increase by a little and a little and a little. And the more you play it, the more you're good at it. It's, it's pretty much on any type of games or any type of thing you do in real life. So the more experience you get, you can do other game as well with the same genres, the same aspect to it. So 
a lot of the time you spend there is very valuable at the end. And the uh, the other the other one I want to mention is um, if if you spend a lot of time into one achievement and you cannot even do it, just let it aside for a couple of times, maybe like a day or two, and come back to it. Sometime when you let something goes and you come back, you're always stronger. You have more thoughts. You have more. You you can proceed better and other stuff like that. So you're always learning something new and. If you spend, example, you spend 10 hours into something which is very easy for somebody, somebody else, don't be, uh, don't be negative about it. Be proud. Be always proud of what you accomplish, of what the goal is to be. Like for some people, like mastering SM64 is very like, it's very good. But for some other people, it's like, this is take like, it's, it's nothing for them. Don't compare yourself to other players. If your time invents, you learn something and be proud of it. This is the most stuff you can learn into already. And that's what I the most learn into it. Because sometimes I always look up like, oh, this person is better than me. Huh? Maybe I just, I cannot do it. But no, I have grind my way up into the tops. And I try a different path than the others. And at the end, I learn a lot. I learn a lot of mechanics. I learn a lot of other stuff. And like like before, like just an example, I cannot do even Kaiso, but now I can do a little bit more Kaiso because I practice it a lot. So I spend a lot of time to just going through that goals, and that will make me into the top first. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point is just that, you know, it's always good to to kind of be be competitive but at the same time you know don't don't spend all that time just beating yourself up about looking at people's timestamps or looking at you know how long it took somebody from start to finish because you know that, that can always be kind of a downer at times and so it's good to it's good to recognize your weaknesses and understand that um you're not going to be as good at as at games as some other players and vice versa, you know, like you mentioned, Draco, um, you know, I think we'd both be pretty comfortable admitting that you're way better at racing games than I am. And I'm way better at fighting games than you are, but you have mastered fighting games that I've mastered and I've mastered racing games that you've mastered. And so it's really, and you know, uh, talking about the time aspect, you could probably say that it's taken me less time to master some fighting games than you and racing games. I mean, we can look at what was it Lego racers that took me <laughs> a lot, a lot longer than, than uh, you. And I had that, uh, that um, one map that gave me a lot of challenges with like that egg collecting challenge or something like that. I remember from a long time ago. So it is really important to, when you're being competitive to not be too hard on yourself and um, always make sure that you're, you're enjoying the site, how you, would like to and you know we, we talked a little bit about this before but for some people that's trying to get as many badges as possible for some people that's trying to get as many points in the highest rank as possible for some people that's trying to get the highest retro ratio and for some people it's all about the completion percentage and for other people it's a mix of of the different elements for me, for example, you know, I'm trying to, um, keep grinding and, and be competitive. Like I said, I'm quite busy outside of, 
um, retro achievements recently with work and things like that. But I'm working towards that 85% completion. I'm sitting at like an 81%. And I'm kind of enjoying going back through games that I gave up on before and, and having a fresh start on, on that. You know, you mentioned uh, going through games and uh, spending some time on them and then putting them down and then coming back to them. And a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us on Retro Achievements, you know, we put something down and um, we put it away for another day and then we come back to it and we have a fresh fresh set of eyes on it and we feel really good about it. So that that's a really big thing is just, you know, we've taught, we've, we've, we're beating a dead horse at this point, but enjoy, enjoy the, the site how you want. And, um, you know, just practice, practice, practice. That's the big thing is just practicing and, and, you know, putting in the time and making sure that at the end of the day, you're still having fun, even if you're grinding out that really hard achievement. Cause the, the one of the big things I've always, I always think about with the achievements is the more I grind something, that's a really difficult achievement is when I get to the end of that achievement, it's just like the most, it's, it's so weird. Cause it's that big trade off of, okay, this achievement is really, really tough and it's really, really frustrating. But when I get it, it's just like, it's just like nothing. There's no feeling in the world like that, right? That rush of being able to be, be successful at something that is uh, so difficult. So I think that that's all I had uh, as far as my thoughts on um, time investment per achievement. So I'll, ra I'll wrap it up and throw it over to you. Well, thank you a lot for your final touch shoot. Uh, yeah, you will. We both agree on that. And that was a very good way to, to make this conclusion of that segment. So that wraps things up for today's episode of our podcast. Be sure to like the videos and hit the bell to make sure you never miss an episode of us on the rise. I would be extremely sad. Let us know in the comment what your favorite hacks on Brute and Lesson game is. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again soon. Bye.